Let us with great joy go before the Lord and ask Him for the blessing of the preaching of the Word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before You with hearts full of gratitude because You have called us into Your presence. We rejoice in Your grace and mercy for the forgiveness of our sins for Jesus' sake. We ask You now that Your Holy Word, sharp as a two-edged sword, cut us up, rearrange us, and conform us to your Son, Jesus. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for the sake of your Son, Jesus. Amen. We are continuing our sermon series through the book of Colossians. We'll finish up Colossians chapter 1 and move into just a little bit of Colossians chapter 2. This is a wonderful reminder for us to recognize and to, to be reminded of, and children, are you listening? The chapter marks and the verses weren't written into your Bible when God wrote them down, when God used men to write them down. It's important for us to know that just because there's a verse or a chapter break doesn't mean that that's where the thought ends. And so today we'll be reading Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 21, and reading through um, chapter 2, verse 3. Let us hear God's word. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he, that is Jesus, has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches, the fullness of assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. As we hear this passage, we are called to remember that God's word is true. As you today have lived and looked around and watched the world around you over the last decade, how do you feel about the culture in our country? What are the guiding principles for our culture? Do the laws 
which come out of our Constitution act as guardrails to morality and prosperity? Is it the failure of our document? Is it the failure of the people's interaction with the document? Some would argue that the failure is not the document itself, but rather the apparent frequently changing interpretations of the laws of our culture. Where does this idea originate that we can, not, as a, not simply as a people or a government, but that we can just simply ignore the law? In some instances, this behavior towards the law is not simply as just ignoring it, but doing exactly the opposite of it. And then it gets celebrated. Now the word culture comes from the Latin word cultus, which means that which is revered, adored, and given honor. This word cultus means that it is a clear religious word, and it's about a system of beliefs. You see, that's the rub. The rub about our culture is that it is always about a system of beliefs. The great theologian Abraham Kuyper says this, Culture is religion externalized. So why does the culture live in a manner that holds to no fixed truth? People of God, listen. It is because the church, in the very same way, has treated the Word of God as something that is not fixed truth. The church has dismissed certain parts of the Bible. Some say parts of the Bible have no relevance to today. Other parts are thrown onto the discard pile by people who are ragingly angry. And there are others who subtly take parts of the Scripture and kind of push it to the side, hoping that no one will notice. Each of us here today needs to guard our hearts our minds, and our actions, so that we live in conformity to all of God's Word. Often, we too look to excuse and justify our actions of disobedience. Right here in this church, each one of us, we try to say, is this really a sin? Man, I need to study that further. Maybe there's something in the Greek or the Hebrew where I don't have to, to, to follow that. Maybe it was just for, the, for those first Christians. No, we cannot soften what God's Word says. Or how about this? How about the audacity to add something to God's Word? If we add to what God requires, that is idolatry. And do you know who the idol is? Ourselves. If we add anything to the substitutionary work of Jesus, or if we take anything away from what God calls us to do in righteous living, we must confess our idolatry and turn from our unrighteous living. We were once in bondage to sin and could do nothing but sin. But as Colossians 1.19 that we looked at last week says this, For it pleased the Father that in Him, that is Jesus, all the fullness, that is of God, should dwell, 
and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having been made peace through the blood of his cross. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, our sins are forgiven. But we have to guard ourselves because our heart's desire, our sinful desires, are to change God's Word. In our passage today, in verse 21, it reminds us that we are, or were before God came into our lives, alienated, cut off from God. And what does it say in verse 21? And you who were once alienated and enemies. We were actually enemies of God. Where? In our minds, in our thoughts, demonstrated by what? Our wicked works. And yet now, the action of Jesus is in the present, has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present who? You and I, as holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. Because of what Jesus did, he reconciled us. He called us, and he said, Come to me, and I will make you spotless. None of our works are good enough. None of our actions, none of what we think, and our own strength, and our own perspectives, is right. We are told that we will be above reproach in His sight, and it says this, If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. First, we need to acknowledge that God has chosen His elect. We see that in Ephesians chapter 1 and many other passages. And that He, that is Jesus, will not lose any that are His. We see in John 10, 29, Jesus says this, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. We are called, all of us, to live in obedience to God. This joyful obedience and gratitude is the fruit of what God does in our life. God brings us up to continued growth and maturity. You see, when we sing the hymn, the breastplate of, of St. Patrick, and we say, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ all around me, all those things that it says in the refrain, yes, God is doing that and laying out our lives. But it is not simply so that we sit still like a baby eating and just growing fat. But rather that we are to grow up into a maturity and adulthood. The Christian life is that. God takes us from being in bondage to sin. He delivers us from our sin. And we are to hear God's word and we are to grow. Being more and more conformed to his word all the time. Now how does God bring about this continued growth and maturity. He does it through His work in our lives, by His Word and His Spirit, and He does this by placing providences into our life, both good and easy things, and hard and difficult situations. God does this by bringing people, hardships, and difficulties 
And why does he do this? To show us what is in our hearts. So we are to continue in faith, grounded, steadfast. Our only hope is in Jesus. It is good for us to be reminded of the state that we were once in. For those of you that grew up and never knew God, and God sent someone to you to proclaim the gospel and speak to you, you know what that day was like. One day, you were wicked and lost. And the next day, God transformed you and gave you a new heart. And you can remember that difference. For some of you in, the, in this room, that was a great many years ago. For those of you children, young people who are growing up in the church, that's a little bit more murky for you. You're growing up in a household centered on Christ. Seems like there's never a day where you didn't know Jesus, which is God's promise in His Word. But you need to remember that before Jesus gave you a new heart, young person or child, you too were lost and cut off. Now this is very important because it reminds us that we need to not be bogged down right where we are. You see, because our minds and emotions, as we spoke about last week, they're a pack of liars. Before Christ delivered us from bondage, it was not possible to think rightly. We were driven by our selfishness. Our itching ears caused us to be tossed to and fro. And you know what? We need to be honest. This happens to us even now. That we were carried, and even now, carried on by all kinds of ideas from the trickery of men who are crafty and deceitful in their plots. You see, Satan's going to send people around you and it's going to say all kinds of things to you. They're going to tell you what you want to hear. And sometimes they're going to, their hearts are going to be really bad and they're going to be intentionally trying to deceive you. Other times it's simply because they are lost themselves. But we too in the church need to guard ourselves. We need to recognize where we were and that we have a propensity to go back, to desire, to go back to the way we lived before. We were alienated in our actions. We were unstable in all, all our ways. We simply lived in bondage to our sin. But praise God, Christ came, and in His work, He came to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach in His sight. You know, our sin was complete rottenness to our bones. We were dead, but Christ was resurrected, and we died with Him in baptism and are now raised to new life by the work of the Spirit. The Spirit of God took our dead heart of stone and gave us a live heart of flesh. Now, because of this work, in faith we believe God. We need to continue in faith, grounded by the unchanging Word of God. Jesus saves us. He delivered us from death and sin. And because of that, we should be growing in maturity. Now maturity is being filled up. Listen to what Paul says in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of His body, which is the church 
of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The Christian life is one of maturing in Christ. Jesus came to earth as a man to deliver us out of bondage. Now it's important when we hear Paul talking in this way to read this passage as if Paul was needing to fill in something that was lacking in the work of Christ. When Jesus declared on the cross, it is finished, he had completely paid for all the sin for all the Christians that he has called. Paul instead here is telling us that he is being used of God to joyfully take on assisting the church in growing and maturing in Christ. Now part of this means one of the lessons we need to take out of that is that's part of our call, to take on sufferings so that others in the body of Christ may grow up into maturity. Now those of you with children out there, you wrestle with this every day. Some of you in this, in, who have small kids, it feels like a physical wrestling match every day. As you get older and your kids get older, maybe they move out of your house, you feel that same way. You're suffering, hopefully in prayer and trusting God, but you're suffering to help them grow and mature. This is what Paul is saying to, these, to this church in, in Colossae. We need to see and understand that we're called to do this joyfully and look to God to help us, to help others in this congregation and in our households to grow and mature in Christ. Paul is laboring with God's people that they may put away their childish and immature things like we see him talk about in 1 Corinthians 13. Jesus delivered us from bondage, but we so often desire to return to the land of bondage. That's not mature, right? We see somebody do something wrong, and then they continue to go back to it again and again. What's Proverbs say? As a dog returns to his vomit, right? So we love to go to our sin. It's weird, it's strange, and we'd say that person is immature. But in Christ Jesus, we are free from bondage. You know, Israel did the very same thing. God saw the sufferings of Israel and delivered them out of the land of Egypt. The land of Egypt was their place of slavery, the place of bondage. And shortly after their deliverance from Egypt, and then God reveals himself in his glory cloud and gives them his word. So look, they're delivered by all these mighty miracles. They see all this stuff happen. They're delivered out. God wipes out their enemies. God goes and sets them up as his covenant people, shows up in his glory cloud. He's there. He speaks to the people. He gives them his words. He sets up a covenant. He says, I'm going to be your God. I am your God. I'm going to walk with you. And after all of these great things that God does for them, Israel turns quickly, stating that they desire to go back to the land of Egypt, to the land of bondage, simply for what they perceived as benefits. Numbers 11.4 tells us this, Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to an intense craving. They had an intense craving. They really desired it. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? 
If we remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, ah, and the cucumbers, and the melons, and the leeks, and the garlic, but now our whole being is dried up. There's nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Can you imagine this? In the midst of God's provision, right? Not only did God take them out in the, in the wilderness, He's leading them to the promised land where they understand God is going to deliver them into this land and give it to them. And God is feeding them every day. And I, I rest assured, if God's got heavenly bread coming down, it's the best bread in the world. Can anyone argue that there's a better baker, better provider of bread than God himself? We know that it was good. And what happened? They're saying, oh no, man, I'd rather go back to the land of slavery. I want to go back there. Because you know what? Even though I was enslaved and, and Pharaoh kept making it worse and worse and worse for me, I want, I want that fish from the Nile River. Man, I want those melons. I want those leeks. I want the cucumbers. I can't live without cucumbers. Well, maybe I could. <laughs> but, but the point is, the point is, because they desired something, they would rather trade a temporary desire to go back into bondage. They would rather be enslaved to something they thought was better in their past. Paul, throughout his entire epistles, is continuing to confront a group of people who are coming into the church called Judaizers. The Judaizers were a people in the churches of the first century who were consistently saying, yes, Jesus died for your sins, but that's not enough. You must become a religious Jew. You must be circumcised and follow the Jewish religious customs and traditions. We will see in the coming weeks that these heresies that were being brought into the church of Colossae were being brought in by the Judaizers. These Judaizers, they longed to go back to the perceived benefits of the shadows and types of Christ in the Old Covenant instead of believing that Jesus fulfilled all of the Old Covenant. Now this is part of what we need to understand to grow and mature in Christ. That is, we are to be conformed to Christ by having our minds renewed, transformed first by the new heart that God has given us. And then we are to obey His Word as it is absolutely true. We should not desire to find any other way to live each day except in joyful obedience to God's Word because of the work of Jesus Christ. Now we see in verse 26 here, it says this, it tells us that the mystery is revealed. And this is going to be important here. We've got to see this. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to the saints. So to the saints there in Colossae and to us as saints here today. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. To this end I also labor, 
striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Now this is important. We need to know and understand the Old Testament. We need to read and know and understand the New Testament. It's one story of God's plan of redemption and reconciliation of man to himself. If we just read the Old Testament, we're going to read through it. Let's say all you have was the Old Testament. You read it again and again and again. You would begin to say, wait, the story's not over. Where's the deliverance? How do we get fully into the sanctuary of God? How do we get back in touch with God? How do we get our sins forgiven? How do we deal with our, with our guilt and regret? Because there's these temporary fixes, but I've got to keep doing it over and over and over again. There's no way to get it completely resolved. Certainly, there's at least one or two more chapters to end this story. Now, we need to understand this. If all we do is read the New Testament over and over again, we see all these great works that Jesus did, but we're not really going to understand what our chief problem is. And that is that we are cut off from God's presence because of our sin. You can read it, and you can kind of pick that out, but you really miss what your chief problem is if all you do is read the New Testament. Why did Christ need to come? Because Adam and Eve sin, and each of us sin. And even though God keeps working in our lives and keeps doing things to bless us, we keep discarding His love. We keep discarding the good gifts that He gives. We need to read all of God's Word. And of course, what is this mystery? Now this is real important here to understand what's going to be happening in the coming chapters. The mystery is revealed, and it is this, Christ in the Gentiles. You see, this group of Judaizers, it was a real challenge for them. Because they found their identity in being the people of God who are set apart. They're the special people of God. But you see, they weren't the special people of God just so they could be the special people of God for their own benefit, growing stout and fat in the goodness of God. No, they were called to be the priests to the world. We need to understand that they're calling to be the priests of the world. You see, they were called to serve others. It wasn't for themselves. And so it was hard for them to say, wait a minute, all my identity is loaded up in this thing about myself. Wait, it's not about me? Whatever gifts God gives me, that is for me to give and share and bless others? We need to see that in Ephesians chapter 2, in first, beginning of verse 14, it says this, For he himself, that is Jesus, is our peace, who has made both one, that is Jew and Gentile, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both, both the Jew and the Gentile, to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting death to the enmity. Those things that created the difference, the distinctions between being a Jew and a Gentile, are, are, are gone in the work of Jesus Christ. For many in Israel had taken pride in being the priests of God. And you know what they did? 
they created all kinds of extra biblical rules, that is, rules that weren't in the Bible, to make the distinction between them and others even greater. They added to what God had commanded. They forgot that they were the priests to be the priest to the world for God. You know what they did instead? They said, no, we don't want the Gentiles, we don't want you Gentiles to come in. We don't want you to worship God. We want you dirty, rotten sinners to stay out there. We have to guard against that. We need to say, all peoples, repent of your sins. Come in and worship the living God. So much so, you know, they set out all of their, their wares to be sold. You remember Jesus cleanses the temple? They're setting all that up on the outer courts, which is where the Gentiles were to worship. They forgot what God had called them to do. One commentator says this, The special rules that God set forth for Israel and for the Arianic priests were designed to set them apart for the task of being priests to the nations and not as badges of some kind of special superiority. Christians, listen. All that God has called you to do isn't simply to separate you out. So you got this badge. Yeah, I'm the Christian. I, you know, I've got the baptism symbol on my head. Right? Woo, that's right. You don't have it. Right? That's not what God has called us to be. No. Yes, we need to live faithfully to His Word. But did you choose God or did God choose you? Was it your works or was it the work of Jesus Christ on the cross? Being a Christian doesn't make you morally superior. God is morally superior. His grace was given to you. Live humbly. Jesus came to reconcile sinners from all the nations. The mystery revealed is that God has removed the barrier to his sanctuary by his death, resurrection, and ascension of his son. For what? All the nations. This really brings clarity to dealing with the heresies of the Judaizers. They were caught up. They wanted everything to continue as they are. They were glad Jesus came, but they wanted to maintain what they had established. We know in Hebrews 4 that Jesus became our high priest, and he did it once and for all. He didn't have to keep going back again and again. No, he died once for all. All of this brings us to this. The Word of God comforts us, knits us together, and assures us our understanding. Paul says this at the beginning of chapter 2 of Colossians, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. That's the next big city on down. And, for, and it says this, And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, I need help from God. I need the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Where am I going to find that? Paul, in his heart, has a great conflict for the saints. He wants all of those who have not seen him to have their hearts encouraged 
knit together, and to be assured in their knowledge of God. And God the Father and Jesus Christ. You see, where do we find the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? It's found in His Word, the Bible. We need to read, hear, and sing the Word of God. Not just in this church service, but when we're at home. When we're facing challenges. When we're struggling. We need to do this. When we do this, we will be brought together in Christ. Our unity can only be found in Christ. God chose you, you saints, to be unified in His ever-stable, never-changing truth found only in His Word. Truth, stability, and therefore peace is not found in ourselves, but only in Christ Jesus and His Word, which brings us life so we can live and demonstrate the gospel to the unbelieving peoples of the world. Let us pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have called us to be your people, that by the work of Christ, our sins are forgiven. Lord, help us not to desire to go back to the old life. Help us, O oh Lord, not to desire those things of the past, so that we can be in bondage. But rather, O oh Lord, may we grow in maturity. May we know your word. And by your word and truth, be able to stand firm and stable and to serve others to your glory. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.